You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Max's Island today, I've got returning guest Simon White. Welcome back to the island, Simon. Thanks, Tone. It's good to be here. Uh, yeah, I didn't, didn't know that I'd get a second go, so it's uh, yeah, very nice of you to invite me back. Ah, uh, Simon, when you were on last, you talked about your decision you made to pursue a particular career in journalism and, and, and PR and what have you, and it took you into a number of different interesting sporting arenas and, and other arenas. But I thought I'd get you back because I do know, and quite serendipitously, I found out about this by listening to another podcast, that you actually had an experience with a somewhat infamous horse racing character named Hayden Haitana. So I wondered if you could share your story with our friends on Max's Island. I'm sure they'll find it interesting. Yeah, definitely can. It's a... um it's a strange and unusual tale and it, it's probably a story that um, I'll carry with me the rest of my career and, and remember as the most bizarre, pro- probably. So to give a bit of background, Hayden Haitana was the um, the trainer of Fine Cotton, which of course is the, uh, most people will know about the, the Fine Cotton ring-in. Very, well, dark, weird tragic comedic episode in Australian racing and just to give people a bit of background in case they don't know um, Fine Cotton was a, a fairly moderately performed racehorse who was bought by a, a con man in northern New South Wales I think it was in uh, 1984 the idea was that they would run Fine Cotton inverted commas Fine Cotton in a race at, at Eagle Farm in Brisbane can you but- rec- sorry can you recall the name of the horse that actually ran Yes, I, I can. So the original horse that was meant to run, so the idea was that they'd run another place, a horse in place of fine cotton. It would be a lookalike. Uh, it would be a much better performed horse. Fine cotton would have very big odds because it was poorly performed. They'd back it at big odds. They'd substitute in the better performed horse and all win a lot of money was the idea. The original better performed horse was a horse called Dashing Saltair. Unfortunately, a couple of weeks out from the race, uh, it had to be, well, it was injured in a paddock incident, ran into some barbed wire, had to be replaced at short notice with another horse. They found trouble getting a lookalike 
horse. They finally bought another horse with a check that <laughs> bounced, <laughs> which is probably indicative of the, the whole saga. But they bought another horse called Bold Personality, which then ran as Fine Cotton at Eagle Farm in, in August 1984. Many, many strange parts to this tale. One is that Bold Personality didn't really look like Fine Cotton. Um, they actually had to, in some cases, paint the horse with with uh, human hair dye to try and make it look more like uh, fine cotton and there was also uh, I think fine cotton had quite distinctive I guess white socks on his feet and and that was the other part of it they used um, well they used paint to try and paint uh, white on this horse's feet which was another part of the the, uh, the tale that didn't really work so it was a, um, a comedy of errors you you might say on Max's Island we live a pretty uh, casual life, so we don't have um, lawyers to support us, so we won't go and talk about some of the characters, uh, although I think they're all pretty well-named now and it's all pretty public about some of the characters and and the, the whole fine cotton affair went actually beyond those, allegedly went beyond those that were immediately involved and there was um, you know, quite a bit of a knock-on effect to well-known bookies and, and racing identities around Australia. But let's come back to the main character, Hayden Haitana, because he was pretty much a knockabout guy, horse trainer, who really wasn't didn't have too many enemies, did he? No, he was a he was a very likable guy. To to set a bit more of the scene, I was living in uh, Adelaide. Um, I'd moved there from Brisbane myself in at the end of two thousand and eight, and I was living there in two thousand and nine, working at the Adelaide Advertiser. The Adelaide Advertiser had a, a weekend magazine called SA uh, Weekend. And the idea that the editor of that had was that the Fine Cotton Affair was coming up for its 25th anniversary. Hayden Haitana was known to live um, and frequent uh, country South Australia. And, and how many years did he had he been in jail though? Because he was he was he went to jail for the fine yeah, cotton. Yeah, I think the, I think the jail term was relatively short. I right. think it might have only been a, a year or two. Right. Um, and then he got out and then he, he sort of had this life as a, a bit of a drifter. He'd, he'd drift sort of between a couple of areas of, of South Australia, uh, down Goolwa Way, which is um, sort of the, the, I guess, sort of south southeast coastal from, from Adelaide, get, heading down towards sort of Mount Gabia, Victor Harbour, those kind of areas. Um, and he also used to spend a bit of time in the Mallee, which is sort of inland um, out from, from Murray Bridge. Anyway, he was known to... Um, known to frequent South Australia. He was a bit of a ghost in some ways. And so I got tasked with the, the with tracking him down to do a 25th anniversary of Fine Cotton story. Now, my knowledge of Fine Cotton by that stage was, it was something that I heard of as, as a kid, you know, as a kid growing up in the 80s, if you had a family that was into sport or horse racing, which which mine was, chances were you you heard of Fine Cotton and I knew the basic outline of it, but I didn't know, um, probably fair to say, a, a huge amount of details. So I started trying to track Hayden Hightana down. He didn't live a traditional lifestyle. I did eventually find out that he had a mobile phone, but he, he was one of these people that was sort of off the map to, to an extent and, and tracking him down proved to be quite a challenge. Because he had been warned off race courses, hadn't he? So he wasn't able to technically 
get onto a race course. So that would have been the most likely place to find him, I guess. Yeah, at that stage, he was banned um, banned for life from um, going near racehorses and going onto a, a racetrack. He um, did used to perform the sneak on <laughs> occasionally, which he uh, which he quite enjoyed. My initial efforts to track him down. I remember them being his brother, um, Pat Haitana, who was a, a jockey, was living in, and working at that stage um, around one of the, the country Victorian um, racetracks. I believe it might have been Mornington, I think it was. So it, that started out as my um, original line of inquiry, trying to you know get in touch with someone there and saying, you know, do you know Pat Haitana? If you see him, can you tell him I'm looking for his brother? <laughs> and I can't remember the total turn of events, but eventually Hayden heard that I was looking for him uh, and actually called me at the, the Adelaide Advertiser's office, which was a, a really weird experience. We eventually arranged to meet. Uh, I think it might have been the, the week after that. So this has gone from I probably started looking for him in... Uh, it would have been autumn to winter of 2009. We would have spoken later that year. In the meantime, the 25th anniversary of the Fine Cotton Affair came and came and went in August. And we never caught up until, I reckon it was probably uh, April or May of uh, 2010 in the, in the end. So there was a little bit of time elapsed there. In the meantime, we had tried several meetings, but there was always something that came up that meant that he couldn't make it. I've still got, and I've got it in front of me, a, um, a, a six page handwritten note that he left me one day after he, he was meant to come into the advertiser. He couldn't make it. So he, he left me this note, which is actually a really entertaining <laughs> read all these years later on. And then we finally did meet and it was quite out of the blue. I'd probably given up on actually meeting him you know I had a mobile number for him by that stage but he wasn't always reliable at picking up the phone I figured it was probably never going to happen I was sitting at my office um, one Friday morning I reckon it might have been uh, I was primarily a racing rider phone rang sure enough it's Hayden and he, and he says oh you know are you going to the races tomorrow at Morfittville and I said well yeah I'm, I'm working so I'm going there and he said oh I'll meet you in the bar after the fifth race and I thought oh that's pretty um pretty interesting i don't know how he's going to manage that one <laughs> anyway i um went to the races sure enough uh at a certain time of the afternoon my phone rings and it's hayden and i said are you, are you in the bar i'll come and meet you and he said no i'm just about to leave i'm going to um get on i think it was either the uh the train or the tram to go home and i said well i'll, I'll rush out and meet you you know i don't want to don't want this opportunity to pass without meeting you so i went outside and uh found him he'd snuck into the course naturally he was very aggrieved because he'd had to pay full price to sneak into the course he was technically should have been eligible for a seniors discount <laughs> but uh he couldn't get it because that he would have to show him his id then and then he wouldn't have been allowed in the course so we had a bit of a laugh about that arranged to meet for me to go down to Gulwa, which was where he was living uh the following week he gave me a dress and stuff i was going to go down on the i'm pretty sure it was the wednesday morning that i went down there i gotta confess when he he arranged that meeting i thought i'm going to turn up there and he won't be there i did turn up and he wasn't there <laughs> but that was only because he'd gone to a, a doctor's appointment he he'd left the house open to me he'd left a form guide out for me he'd left me stuff to, to make coffee and i had this sort of weird 
probably 45 minutes or, or, or an hour of sitting around in Hayden Hightana's house waiting for him to, to come back and, and hang out with me. Amazing. He, certainly from all that I've read and heard about him, he was as I say, a real knockabout sort of guy, a bit of a larrikin. Enjoyed the obviously the punt, but enjoyed um, mateship and, and just having a bit of fun around the racetrack. So it makes sense that he was probably a little uh, flaky and a little inconsistent. But I'm sure he was interesting to chat with when you finally did get to chat with him. Yeah, very interesting. I think the knockabout character characterization is spot on. You know, if you go back through the the fine cotton affair, um, the way it turned out, it had many many authors. But I think it's fair to say Hayden, whilst a um, you know uh, he was he was quite an intelligent guy. He was um, very articulate. He was very funny. I don't think anyone thought that he was the mastermind of a, a criminal enterprise. So he was someone who was very much, he was involved in it. And I would, you know, I think he probably liked to downplay his involvement in it a bit. Um, you know, you'd probably have to be naive to think that he didn't know what was going along at certain stages uh, along the way. But yeah, I think he was certainly, he probably got involved with it thinking it would be a bit of fun and then the more things carried on and they got more serious and things occasionally did get heavy along the way we laugh at it now but there was some pretty dark stuff going on in the background um i think it's primarily threats to to him and his family that that kept him involved with it uh, along the way that was certainly his version of events but yeah i think he got caught up in something that was a bit uh beyond his control i would say i'm interested that he actually did eventually reach out to you knowing that you were looking for him and then you know you guys finally connected because from my recollection he had a um during the the main part of the fine cotton just immediately after the fine cotton affair he had some interesting interactions with media and um, i think it was 60 minutes was it that um, he appeared and he did a name drop bit of a bit of a mic drop moment um but I, get, I got the impression that he, he wasn't terribly trusting of the media. It's an interesting thing. I, I would actually say that my, from my experience with him, Hayden, or H, as he liked to be called, was probably almost too trusting of anyone. I think the, the 60 Minutes affair, which, you know, he, he basically gave a paid interview whilst on the run, which in subsequently listening to some um, recent podcasts, including the, the ring in by the ABC, I think that was largely facilitated by other people involved in the in the affair. I think I think it was less that he wasn't trusting of media, more that fine cotton for him was a bit of a double edged sword. It got him a lot of um, got him a lot of free beers in pubs over time. He did like a drink. It got him a bit of notoriety you know got him a bit of fame on the other hand he also liked to say you know the race went for you know a minute and a half two minutes and it dominated his life he was always connected to it for the um next well ultimately the next 33 years he, di- he died late in uh, 2017 i'm pretty sure so it it kind of overshadowed his life and when, when i met up with him his view was that he was he himself was done with fine cotton 25 26 years before but it kept getting brought up i think the reason he he was happy to speak to me was enough time had passed that some of the heat had gone out of it also you know he'd kind of been 
almost the forgotten person out of it. He was basically the only person by the by the time I went to write about it that was still serving a life ban. There were others that were given life bans, which were, were subsequently renounced, and there were other whose bans were ended. Hayden was the one person left hanging on, carrying the can for, for the whole saga. So when you spoke to him and you mentioned that, you know, he'd felt that he'd left it behind, did he have much anger toward some of the fellow players that perhaps had conned him and then ultimately those that had threatened him and made him go through with the whole process? Not really. I did I did ask H, you know, how he got through that period. You know, for a while there, he was probably the most famous person in Australia. <laughs> it's crazy to think about. I asked him how he got, got through it and he said, oh, I'm a laid-back Maori. That was, that was his description of it. And that was the thing. He was always ready to have a laugh. Um, he was always ready to, to have a drink. He liked people. He was gregarious. Um, you know, he, he was a person that could kind of ride, ride out the bumps. He was from a big family. You know, it, and racing is a game that, um, you know, you have to endure the ups and downs. And, and he'd had a, a lot of downs, I guess, courtesy of everything. So he, it wasn't anger. He was a little bit bitter towards some of the um, bigger name people who had managed to have their bans revoked or subsequently um, lifted. And when I say bitter, he was more disappointed that he wasn't wealthy. He never got to go to court with, you know, fancy lawyers and really test things and and test the validity of the ban. So there, that was that was his biggest thing that he was aggrieved about. That other people had managed to um, managed to fight their way back from fine cotton. He didn't necessarily have the means or the the avenues to to do it. I would say that was the only thing that he was he was angry about. The rest he was probably uh, keen to have a laugh. He was also very keen to talk about other things. And and I and I suppose that's one thing I, I should say that Hayden, according to him and some people I spoke to, spent a lot of his, probably the last 20 years of his life, actually helping out other people, you know, ferrying um, people to hospital visits, ferrying people to doctor's appointments, going and visiting uh, prisoners in jail. Um, he used to collect old bikes and and repair them and give them to backpackers and kids. He was actually, weirdly enough, that was that was his first love, cycling. He wanted to be a um, he wanted to be a road cyclist, it, and it. I think he was quite handy when he was younger. Never never turned it into a professional dream, but he never lost that passion for um, for bikes and cycling. And I can even remember, and I've still got it somewhere in my old mobile phone. He used to occasionally ring me up. Um, this is probably going back 10, 10 years ago, probably. He used to occasionally ring me up and leave a message at you know kind of all hours of the the day and night about the strangest things. But one of them. What was and I can't remember the guy's name, but it was a New Zealand cyclist who he was imploring me to bet on in the in the Tour de France or a, <laughs> or a stage of the Tour de France. So that that never left him. So I think that's the other. Th- so it's the two things he never got to really um, argue his case as he would have liked, and also the fine cotton affair kind of that was all people knew him for. He wanted to he wanted people to know there was another side to him. And did he ever get back on? race courses before he died he did he did Uh, writing the story and and it's the most when i say the most remarkable story that i've ever written it's the most remarkable topic that i've ever got to write about with the most remarkable access to to a to a person involved in it that i will will ever get 
And so when I'd written the story, and, and I was really, really nervous about, you know, I spoke to some other people. I spoke to his daughter, Mandy, who, who remembered the times around um, fine cotton. You know, I spoke to, um, you know, other trainers who, who kind of knew him behind the scenes. I wrote this story. I was really nervous around how H would receive it. And the the Saturday that it published, I was actually, uh, might have actually been the, the, the day after I was actually out for a, for a meal with friends at a restaurant and he called through and I thought, oh, he's read the story because it ran the day before. But I read the, read the story. What does he think of it? And anyway, he loved it. But it really left a mark on me, the story that, you know, H hadn't had the opportunity through um, his, his lack of means, I guess, to, to really test the validity of his ban. And it struck me as perhaps there was a way that I could help. So what I ultimately did was I spoke to him about it and it's kind of unusual for a journalist because you're not meant to really get involved with the people that you're writing stories about. You're meant to take an um, impartial view mo- most of the time. Anyway, I, I guess I was so moved by his plight or situation and it really did seem unfair to me as well that he was banned you know, going on for, for 30 years later. So, um, yeah, ultimately what I did was I, I said to him, I'll help you write a letter and we'll get some references together and we'll send it off to, to Racing Queensland, which he'd obviously been, um, you know, his life ban was originally uh, placed in Queensland because that's where Eagle Farm Racecourse was. Um, it extended to all states, but only Queensland could uh, could really revoke it. So I said, I'll, I'll help you write a letter I'll get some references together. We'll send it off and we'll see how we go. I started writing the letter and then I left Adelaide. I moved back to WA and I was going through my stuff um, one night, like a box of stuff, and I found this this letter, mostly finished, that I'd never actually completed. So I got back in touch with Hayden, said, listen, I've got this letter. I, I haven't sent it yet. We never finished it. Let's let's do it. So finalised the letter Um sent it off for him to sign and then send to uh, Queensland Racing Stewards along with supporting references. And then oh, probably a few months or six months after we... after Well, of course, Hayden being Hayden, I never knew that it had been sent. So I'd sent the letter to him for him to sign and send on. But it was, a, in my mind, a bit of a raffle about whether he'd actually did it. He clearly did it because a few months later, maybe six months later, I was listening to um, 6PR actually... And all of a sudden in this news bulletin, it came through that, you know, uh, infamous horse trainer Hayden Hayden has had his uh, life ban revoked from the the fine cotton affair. That must have made you feel pretty good. It did. It did. I felt a bit guilty for having allowed it to to linger a bit, that letter, and I wish I'd um, done it earlier now. I think pretty sure that was either 2013 or 2014. 2013 sticks in my mind as... um, as when it was, Hayden lived another four years after that. I kind of wish now that I'd done it a couple of years earlier and given him another couple of years on track. But, you know, his his view was, and he had grandkids who he doted on by that stage, he wanted to take his grandkids to the races and, and show them what um, he'd once done for a living. You know, he still loved the horses. Um, yeah, so he wanted to get back on track and, and do that. So I'm, I'm delighted that hopefully I gave him a, another four years of that. It would have been, um, in retrospect, it would have been great for it to be, be six, but that's life. Um, change for him, it was a turnaround. It was a bit of brightness at the end of what had been a, a, a pretty dark tunnel at times. So I was, 
I was glad that I was able to help in some small way. Yeah, I'm sure he would have appreciated it. And um, even though it was only four years, I'm sure he would have had some um, pleasurable times. Again, not having to skulk around the local racetrack where he could actually, you know, walk around as, as himself, H. And, um, you know, people recognise him and probably buy him a beer, which was, as you said, one of his big passions. <laughs> Without a doubt. And I did, um, I did speak to him immediately in the aftermath of um, the, the stewards lifting the ban and he was, yeah, he was loving life at that stage. So I was, yeah, I was, I was, it, was a, it was a big, I imagine, a massive thrill for him and a, and a bit of a thrill for me. Well, Simon, thanks for being on the island. I've known you for a while and I didn't know you were part of this very infamous story until I actually heard your name mentioned on that podcast you referred to on the ABC. I had to get you to, to tell that story from a personal point of view. I, look, it is about, on Max's Island, our stories we tell are less about what happened but are more about the connection that you made with people, with the person, and in this case you and Hayden Haitana, what you did for him I'm sure he would have appreciated. And just with you telling that story, I could, I could really feel that you and him had a connection and that's probably something that you won't forget. And um, so thanks for sharing that with uh, us on the island. Thanks for having me on again. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur, all work and no play. And how, how had it turned out this way? He told me his plan, a short-term escape, five weeks on the Bibbulmun track. Go it alone, no one to blame if he finished or fell by the way. Sometimes it's good to pretend Go for a high
Every sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky. Completely alone, no emails or phone.